Welcome back to the Lewis House Lecture Series podcast. And this month, we are honored to have Dr. Jennifer Frey with us. Jennifer, welcome. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, well, hey, well, let's jump in. Uh, we've got a few things to talk about, about friendship. I know you're giving a lecture here on, in a little bit about that at uh, Lewis House tonight. But before before we jump into the topic of friendship, would love to just give our listeners a chance to know a little bit about you, maybe kind of share a two-minute bio of who is uh, Dr. Jennifer Frey. Yeah, so I'm a philosopher, um, and I practice philosophy at the University of South Carolina, where I've been for nine years. Uh, I'm actually from this part of the country, so Hmm. I grew up just slightly north of Cincinnati, and I had lots of family in eastern Kentucky. Hmm. My great-grandfather was a tobacco farmer in eastern Kentucky, Mm -hmm. so it's great to be back in the the great state of Kentucky. It's so I I forgot how beautiful it is here. Ken, Kentucky is a beautiful place, and a and a much a much uh, more beautiful color. I would, Kentucky blue is great. You were kind of a crimson colored girl in college, right? You went to Indiana. Yeah, I went to IU. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was if I got this right, I think your story really connects. You went to college not as a Christian, but had you. Know, Kind of came out of college as 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 a Catholic Christian. Could share a little bit about kind of your your journey to faith in that regard. Yeah, so um, I certainly didn't go to college thinking I would be a Catholic. Uh, it was very surprising to everyone, including me. Um, I was raised just in a secular house. Um, my family, my mom's family, was kind of a fundamentalist, mm. and um, yeah. I, We just weren't Christian. I don't know how else to put it. And um, I went to college, just started studying philosophy, and I realized, like, wow, I don't, um, I don't really know why I believe anything that I believe, Mm -hmm. and I don't really have good arguments. And anyway, I started to be very worried about questions of morality and freedom and Mm -hmm. responsibility, and Mm -hmm. what would really, I mean, suppose that you killed someone. Right. What I mean, it's bad. It seems bad. Um, and I believed that it was bad, but I didn't really have a great explanation of why it was bad, especially if you can construct a scenario where it looks like nobody was really harmed. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I started reading um, a lot of philosophy. I took a class on medieval philosophy, started reading Boethius and St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas, and turns out I was a Thomist. I didn't know it, <laughs> but I fell in love with Thomas Aquinas, and, which was really weird because I didn't have anybody to talk with about Aquinas. And you know, I went to the local Catholic priest, and he was like, "I've never read Aquinas. Like, I don't know what you're talking wow, about." Man. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's like this idea that Catholics all know Aquinas. This is not true to the reality. Uh, he did not know what to do with me at all. Um, but yeah, to make a long and complicated story short, I was baptized when I was 20 and I still enjoy reading Aquinas and I'm going to talk about him tonight. Yeah. And, and here you are a few years later and what uh, a husband is a philosopher and six, six kids. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So you are, you are a busy, busy, busy lady. Very I'm, busy. I'm a busy lady. And, and not to mention uh, before we forget, cause I'd love for our listeners to know about uh, your podcast. Uh, cause I know you've got tens of thousands of listeners every month listening to your podcast. Uh, just real quick before you jump in this topic of friendship, just kind of give your podcast. I'd love for them to hear kind of a pitch about what it is, what it's about and maybe they could join in. Yeah, so my podcast is A Labor of Love. It's called Sacred and Profane Love. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts, but we also have a website called sacredandprofanelove.com, so you can check it out. 
But uh, yeah, officially we're in our fifth season, mm. which is crazy. Um, and it's a it's a podcast that uh, explores literature from a philosophical and theological perspective. So the idea is that fiction, when it's great fiction, reveals um, important truths about the human person. Uh, of course, philosophy and theology also, when it's great, reveals important mm -hmm. truths about the mm -hmm. human person, but fiction does it in a different, more mm -hmm. powerful way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm I'm just trying to explore that in every episode, and it's really fun. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I just yeah. did an episode with Dana Joya on Baudelaire, and we talked about whether or not evil could be beautiful and what are the implications of that, and... Um, yeah, I'm going to do a podcast next on Edgar Allan Poe that I'm really looking forward to. So, One, well, I know you said we were talking earlier, you spend about 25 hours of prep work for each podcast. So it's not just you sit down, record a few thoughts. This is something, it really is a labor, a labor of love that you work hard at to try to give some fresh insights uh, to people who are listening. So, um, But speaking of, of your labors, I know you have uh, talked and taught uh, in various places about the whole nature of friendship because friendship is one of those topics Topics that uh, you know, we we throw that word around a lot in our culture of friends, obviously Facebook friends, these sorts of things. But you know, I know I've heard you you talk before about uh, Aristotle spent quite a bit of time talking about friendship in his writing, and yet today, if you talk to Aristotelian scholars, very few of them talk. Any, they don't talk. They don't even touch what what he addresses on friendship. And so we have this culture that. Uh, really doesn't doesn't really know what to do with friendship in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I just, I know you're going to give a talk here in a little bit for us, uh, but just how would you define friendship uh, for us? What, what would you say, you know, obviously a word that can go some different directions, but how, how do you define friendship? Well, I think Aristotle's definition is pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. So friendship is a, is a unique kind of love. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can love things like, like you can love coffee. I love coffee. But uh, the kind of love that we're talking about with friendship is interpersonal, so it's between two persons. Um, and it is reciprocal goodwill, right? So you will the good of the friend, and uh, you do it because in some sense uh, you see the friend as good, mm. right? And mm. so Aristotle, um, Aristotle thinks that friends have to have a certain amount of equality, mm. Uh, and that's because the other aspect of his definition is that friendship is reciprocal goodwill between two persons who seek to live one life together. Hmm. That's really right. So if you're friends, you are sharing life and you are sharing life in the specifically human way. So you're sharing your heart and your mind hmm. with another person, even if you're just going fishing or, you know whatever, studying calculus. But if you're friends, you're sharing your heart and your mind and you're engaged in rational dialogue. So you can't really be friends with your dog, I'm sorry. On Aristotle's view, you can love your dog mm -hmm. and your dog can love you, but it's not the specific love of friendship. That's a higher kind of love for Aristotle. Because you're you're just not on the same plane, right? You're, you're, you're two different levels of existence type of, you know, your dog can't, you can't, it can't interact with you. It can't appreciate the same things you appreciate and the like. Is that, is that? Yeah. I yeah. mean, dogs are, are trained to serve, you know, people and that's mm. great, but dogs can't tell you their hopes and their dreams mm. and their plans. 
Um, that's just not the level. It, unless, if, if that is happening, you should p- probably contact the authorities. <laughs> you have a very special dog. Yeah, yeah. As far as we know, that's not happening with dogs. And so, yeah, it's not the love of friendship. Well, what what would you say is the end of friendship? If this is what is friendship, I mean, what is friendship aimed at, would you say? Because, you know, a lot of people talk about being friends with people, but it seems to me, I know C.S. Lewis talks about uh, friendship in his book, The Four Loves, and he talks about being on a journey together. You're going somewhere. Do you like this this idea of friendship? And if if, if so, I mean, where where is it that friendship is going? Yeah, I mean, if it's, um, if it's the highest kind of friendship, mm-hmm. you know, the best kind of friendship that you can have as a human being, then it's going towards happiness, human mm-hmm. flourishing. Mm-hmm. You know? Which, yeah, you've, you've worked a lot on this, and this is one of the things I want to ask you about. How, how do you define, how would you define happiness and human flourishing? And then how does, how does friendship get interwoven with, these, these, with that, that idea of happiness and human flourishing? Because it seems to me they're, they're, they're intricately connected. Yeah, they are. I yeah. mean, happiness, virtue, human flourishing are all different ways of talking about the same thing. <laughs> so let's start with happiness. Um, when you think about happiness, you think about like, what, you know, what's my life for, Hmm. right? Like, what's the purpose? Why am I here? And um, the answer that I would give to that question is, you know, you are meant to reach your full potential is the kind of thing that you are. You're meant to flourish as a human being. Um, You are human as opposed to something else. And and so that sets a certain parameter for what flourishing looks like Mm. for you. But that's the point of your life is to attain real human excellence. And so Mm. the philosophical question is just, okay, well, what's... What is human excellence consistent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer to that question will be, you know, the happy life, however you fill that out. Now, Aristotle and the Aristotelian tradition, and this is somewhat in Plato as well, has this idea that uh, you don't get happiness for free. Mm-hmm. Happiness isn't easy. And the only route through happiness is the cultivation of virtue, mm-hmm. right? So stable dispositions of thought, action, and feeling that enable you, that kind of make you... Um, ready or receptive to real human goods, mm. right? Mm. That like, for example, the good of friendship, yeah. right? Um, which for Aristotle is um, kind of kind of the point of virtue, mm. right? Mm. Is to to flourish in friendships with others, mm. right? So even when he talks about he thinks the highest form of human activity, like the best thing you can do as a human being. Uh, is contemplate God. That's mm. Aristotle's answer to the question. Um, but he, but he also says, but it's better to contemplate with friends, mm. right? Mm. Um, and so, anything that we're doing in life that is good, Aristotle thinks it's better with friends. Yeah. Um, and and that seems that seems right to me. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so they're all connected, happiness. I mean, Aristotle opens, he has two books on friendship, and he opens the book by saying, no one would choose a life without friends even if he had every other human good. Mm-hmm. It's not a choice-worthy life, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's not something that he bothers to defend. It's just like the common sense data that he seeks to explain mm-hmm. philosophically. Um, so, so, yeah. Well, I mean, good friends help us see things um, that we can't see on our own. They help us become things we wouldn't become on our own for, for good or for bad. There's that, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this in that chapter on friendship and the four loves, where he points out that 
that famous passage in Isaiah chapter six, where the seraphim are, you know, saying, holy, holy, holy uh, is the, the Lord of uh, heaven's armies, I think is, is the quote of what they're saying to each other there. It's in that famous passage where Isaiah sees the Lord and, you know, who will go for me there, Lord, I, you know, hear my Lord, send me. Um, but what, what Lewis points out is that the seraphim are actually saying this, holy, holy, holy. They're saying this to one another. Yeah. Um, they're actually, they are actually seeing something about God that the other seraphim maybe can't quite see on their own. And they're all coming into this chorus together because one is seeing something, another, another seeing a different thing. And mm-hmm. so they're coming in together. So as friends, it seems to me that uh, we actually help each other see, you know, lots of good things and, and become things. And conversely, I would assume you would say that bad friendships, uh, if good friendships form us, bad friendships can deform us. Does that, does that seem right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, so Aristotle talks about three kinds of friendships, right? Where, uh, your attraction to the friend is based on different things that you pick up as good in them. Mm-hmm. So he talks about just pleasure friendships mm-hmm. where it's just like being around this person is fun, mm-hmm. right? And and that's good. Pleasure is good. Like we each like a particular sport or, yeah. or collecting stamps or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, whatever you guys yeah. like to do together. But there, and that's good. And he doesn't deny that it's good. But he thinks that, um, you know, there's just something lacking there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he talks about friendships of utility, which are based on like um, the instrumental value of the friend mm-hmm. to the other friend. Mm-hmm. And again, he thinks, well, friends do help one another in all sorts of ways, and that's good. But the highest kind of friendship, the friendship that is complete in the sense that it's not lacking anything, mm-hmm. are the friendships of character or, mm-hmm. you know, where what you love is the friend himself and you love the friend himself because you see the friend as simply good, right? Yeah. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and those friendships are also useful and pleasant, mm-hmm. but the basis of the love isn't the pleasantness or the usefulness, but just the goodness, full stop. And yeah, Aristotle thinks there are all kinds of downstream effects of that that are positive. Um, but the main thing is just loving another person for themselves and understanding your flourishing as bound up with theirs. So, you know, he thinks of the spousal relationship as Mm. a kind of friendship. Mm. I think he has some, um, strange ideas about Mm. that, having to do with his, um, not so savory views about women. (laughs) Right. Um, but I think a more enlightened Aristotelian uh, would see the spousal relationship as a kind of friendship mm-hmm. where, you know, um, you you do see your flourishing as tied to your spouse's flourishing. Yeah. I mean, there's no separating them. They're, yeah, they're <laughs> uh, connected for sure. You know, your fates are tied. Yeah. And and that's a um, that's a feature, not a bug, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that already tells you something about human happiness that it's not a private good, um, that it's something shared in common with other humans. And this 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 gets to the political aspect of friendship for Aristotle, because he thinks that yeah, we want to have happy human individuals, but you're not really going to have happy human individuals unless you have a happy city because that's where they live and breathe and interact with other people. Um, And so he thinks that 
you know, the happy city has to be, the citizens have to be in bonds of civic friendship, hmm. right? Yeah. And um, that that's, as it were, like a lower order kind of friendship um, just because you you sort of have it for everyone. And he thinks with these virtue friendships, like you don't have very many of them hmm. because you just can only give yourself to yeah. so many people, yeah. obviously. Um, but but yeah, he thinks that civic friendship is incredibly important to the polis, mm. that we need to, uh, again, have a kind of affection for one another as citizens that is based in a perception that we have a common end and goal yeah, as I've, citizens. I've even felt myself wondering with... It seems to me, and I don't know that I have enormous amounts of research to back this up, but it seems to me that friendship and people's experience of friendship is in the decline. That pe- oh, yeah. Yeah, that people would say, you know, if you polled the average person now versus the average person, say, 50 years ago in America, I think they would, if you could somehow put those two side by side, people would say, I, I experience less in the way of friendship now than people used to. And so it does make me wonder if some of maybe the animosity that we have, even politically in our country, that uh, you don't just have this common sense of being together and enjoyment of, of one another, that maybe somehow these things are linked in a way that I haven't quite put together in my mind, but mm-hmm. but the, the lack of friendship and the rise in political animosity, uh, I don't know, do you see these things as, as possibly linked together in some way? I think way? they're absolutely linked together. I mean, yeah. I'm not a sociologist or a social scientist, but there has been work done on this, you yeah. know, like Bowling Alone, mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. of a book that looked at um, the total breakdown of smaller associations like Mm -hmm. bowling leagues and Rotary Club and things that... So um, for a lot of very... There's no one causal ideology Mm -hmm. here. There's just so many things Mm -hmm. that have made us more isolated. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do know. I mean, it is a fact that uh, men in particular... Mm -hmm. Um, middle-aged men, um, a lot of them don't have any friends. Hmm. And it's, it has all kinds of disastrous consequences from literal health consequences hmm. to bad political consequences. And so I think it's, I mean, I think Aristotle was right. It's absolutely also a political issue. Hmm. This isn't just about the private sphere and my private happiness. It's a, it's a political issue. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't have any solution to this, but I think that part of it also is just that the culture wars have been so destructive. Um, and I, I I would have said that 20 years ago, I wouldn't have realized 20 years ago how much worse it would get. Mm. (laughs) Um, I'd seen some research done on soldiers around the world who return home after duty and, uh, you know, like different different types of places they were stationed, different types of uh, scenarios. But uh, American soldiers tend to have very high rates, much higher than the average soldier around the world in, in terms of PTSD types of symptoms. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that this particular study was at least suggesting was that places that uh, where soldiers were returning that had high uh, 
relationship networks where there was large, there were large extended families or clear circles of friends that they could return to and this sort of thing, that soldiers struggled much less with readjustment and, and even, even adjusting to some of the things they saw and experienced on the battlefield. They were able to kind of process that and deal with that in a different way because they had these friendship type relationships, these, these, this relational network they could return to. And because America tends to be, as you said, a more isolated country, uh, we have soldiers as just one example of what we're talking about here, coming and, and not being able to 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 deal with this, these things in a healthy way. Yeah, I mean, so there's, um, so a friend of mine works um, in Harvard Med School and he does stroke research mm. and um, he has found non-negligible statistical correlations between, so if you think of stroke victims, right, these are people who, if they survive the stroke, they have to like relearn like walking and talking. Mm, yeah. And I mean, it just is a very uphill battle. And if you look at stroke recovery, who recovers from a stroke and what are the factors that you can look at? And you might think, well, it's age or it's obesity. Like you look at all of these material mm. determinants. And the thing is, the number one thing that predicts whether or not you're going to have sort of like a, a good recovery. Mm-hmm is whether or not you have strong social networks. That's the number one thing. Mm. And so he looked at this and he was like, oh, like we're doing this wrong. Like we're doing the medicine wrong because we're not actually like, like like if if what I'm interested in is my stroke patients recovering, I got to look at this thing, right, that isn't material. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that this... Yeah, we've we've narrowed in on the person, but what we've got to ask questions about is culturally. What what yeah. what are we setting setting people up for? Yeah, yeah and I think that um, our culture is degraded in all sorts of ways. Um, but one one way that is clearly degraded is that it's you know we 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 no longer. I think, hold up friendship as an ideal for young people. Mm. And I think young people don't have good models Mm. of friendship to imitate. And um, I think that's basically a disaster. Mm. (laughs) They need that. They They need to see friendships and imagine themselves as having that kind of thing for them. And then, you know, we also live... Uh, young people now live in a way that's totally mediated by technology. Mm-hmm. And we know for a fact that it's making them miserable and anxious mm-hmm. and lonely mm-hmm. and that it's made them, it's it's harder for them to have the kinds of meaningful friendships that I think you and I basically took for granted, yeah. you know? And uh, we, we really need to address that. Mm-hmm. Like we need to address it in the schools. Mm-hmm. We need to, it's part of education, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That... These kids need to interact mm. face to face, right? Yeah. And that that there's a difference. Mm-hmm. That all the affect is lost, right? Mm-hmm. When it's so mediated, yeah. and that you know interpreting emojis just yeah. isn't the same. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, or we're you know an entire generation is is not going to be experiencing, but is really like some of the best parts of human life. Yeah, yeah. I even think this for for my kids as you, as you're talking. I think you know I try to I want to model 
relationship with my wife, Shelby, in such a way that our kids go, okay, I, I grew up in a home where I saw dad love mom. And I'm certainly, <laughs> sometimes I wonder if I'm a good husband. Hopefully I'm not a bad one, but I, mm-hmm. I, hopefully I do okay. My wife says I do okay. So um, definitely she gives me ways I can improve. But, uh, but you know, I, I want my kids to see Okay, here's here's the way a, a dad loves his wife, and and I and they watch the two of us interact. But but as I'm listening to, I'm thinking, do I do this with my friends enough? Because there is, the, you know, it's sometimes even as parents today, it's easy, at least for me, and where my kids are at, they're 14, 12, and nine. We're just so busy with them that it's like, okay, let's just forget the outside world. We'll, we'll reemerge when the kids are in college and we'll have friendships. And I just think, man, I'm not demonstrating to my kids how to be a good friend to friends. You know, we do occasionally, yeah. I mean, on Sunday we went out to eat after church with a friend and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and their, their kids. And so, but yeah, I don't know. This is, I, this is even coming to me as you're talking. Yeah. Well, I mean, for your particular demographic, actually, Right. I mean, we know that men your age really, really struggle to have friends and, and it's not good. It's not good. And, um, I don't have a theory exactly about why that is. Um, but, but you need friends. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it, since you're calling me out for being so old. If I'd get my hip replacement done, then I would be able to <laughs> yeah. walk over to their houses and see them more. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last time when we had Rebecca DeYoung here, who's a friend of yours, she yeah. she insulted me, saying, you know, that uh, told me what kind of vice that I struggled with yeah. here publicly, yeah. and now yeah. you keep reiterating what an old man I'm ju- I am. I'm just saying your yeah. demographic. Yeah, that's I'm, yeah, that's I'm right. Not judging M- you. Middle middle aged <laughs> men. I suppose you didn't call me I'm old. Middle you, aged. You called me middle aged. Yeah. yeah middle aged is beautiful. A wide definition. Yes. Um, Way. Yeah, it's you know in, in it's a beautiful struggle. In a, in a fallen world, I often <laughs> think in a fallen world you have two options: getting old or the other one. I, yeah. I think I think getting old is, get old is is yeah, that's right. Um, you know, back to this, and I want to ask you a couple final questions here about uh, maybe just some practical tips on friendship building. But uh, you know, it does occur to me in thinking about because I watch students form friendships in college, and I see again people who, those that form good friendships and, and you watch their lives be formed in beautiful and good ways. And I see people who form bad friendships and, yeah. and, and they're deformed. Uh, you know, I think of my own, uh, my own, both my brothers died due to addiction issues and, uh, that was introduced to them through friends. And, yeah. uh, and what was interesting was that at their, uh, I'm particularly thinking of my, my uh, middle brother who died about 10 years ago, none of those so-called friends really showed up at the end. You know, no, they, cause they, they're not real friends. Yeah. You know, I mean, because again, if you think of friendship as willing the good of the other, right, then you're not going to want them to be addicts, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's something that, I mean, your friends determine so much about you. Mm. And it's kind of scary as a parent because, mm-hmm. you know, you can't really choose your kids' friends for them, but mm-hmm. you can kind of like control the environment they're Mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I have kids that are close to leaving the house and going to college now. And because I'm an academic, you know, people are always like, well, what are you looking for in a college? And I'm like, I'm looking at who my kids are going to be friends with. Mm -hmm. That is like the number one thing I care about. Yeah. And I don't... think very many parents are thinking that way, but I think they should. Yeah, Because who are the friends that you're making for life, right? It's that point in your life. Yeah. And so I want to find a school 
where I can look at the other students and be like, that is a great set of potential friends, Mm -hmm. spouses, you know, just people that are going to help my child, right, grow up to be a better person, right, to to help realize their potential. And and I think that universities don't think enough about it either because um, universities kind of, I don't know, become places of competition rather than community. But, you know, we don't think enough about intellectual friendship. Mm. So, so I'm a nerdy academic. Mm. I like reading and writing and talking about books. Like, that's my whole life. Um, my, fr- my deepest friendships are intellectual friendships, mm. right? Where we are trying to figure out what's real, what's yeah. true. And you know, they have just so positively transformed my life Mm -hmm. and they bring me such happiness and such joy. Um, That should be the kinds of friendships that you're especially looking for Mm -hmm. in a university setting. Who's going to help me figure out who I really am, what's really true, what's really good, how I'm supposed to live, you know? Those are your real friends. Those are the people who have your good in mind and are, you know, giving it the care and the attention that it deserves. And one thing that's so helpful to me about Aristotle is he gives you this way of stepping back and reflecting your friendships. Mm -hmm. And when I first read Aristotle on friendship, I was pretty depressed because what I realized was that most of my friendships were pleasure friendships or utility friendships. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, well, I'm doing it wrong, Mm -hmm. you know? and luckily, like, I had read that early on. But, but I do think that if you look at what our culture holds up as friendship, it's some real weak sauce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is yeah. like, you know, um, it's mostly pleasure friendships. We, we enjoy the same sports team and, and those sorts of things. And there can be enjoyment in that, but it's, it's more of the pleasure variety. It's not the, the virtue building, the character building that, that you're talking about. That's the real blood and guts, the bone marrow of deep friendship. Exactly. And yeah. and those people are not going to be there for you in the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're not. They're yeah. not going to be there. You know, it's like we're sort of old enough now where, you know, we, we go to more funerals than yeah. possibly we would like. Yeah. And um, it's interesting who shows up at the end mm-hmm. and who doesn't. It's clarifying. Yeah. Just being a, the same, you know, rooting for the same sports team is probably not going to make someone show up at a funeral. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's and the, well, that was that was actually one of my last questions was how do you how do you go about selecting friends? And I think you're you're hitting on that of like looking for people who are of serious character, who are willing to wrestle with big things and and push you in good directions. In fact, one of the things that I've often wanted parents, being a campus pastor for the last uh, nearly twenty years now, and and working at uh, Lewis House and, and another place, Christian Student Fellowship, is I wish parents when they looked at a college they would go. Is there a good campus ministry there? Yeah, exactly. You know, because this is that's far more important uh, to your child's development than what major they're going, which they're going to probably switch their major anyway. Yeah. But finding a community that this is going to be a character building community for your child, I think, should be an absolute requirement of any Christian parent. Certainly, it definitely yeah. should. I mean, yeah. because look, we have world class universities. Okay, you send your kid to any big state school, like they're going to get a good education, Mm -hmm. right? If they're applying themselves. 
Um, so that, that's not really here or there at the end of the day. The question is, what's what's the culture? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think the general campus culture is not good. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so what are these, you know, Benedict Option type communities, yeah, yeah. right, that Rod, are very yeah. intentional? Rod Dreher, great point. And, um, you know, and, and, I, and I think that parents and students should both be looking at that, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. is where, like, college is so important because, one, it, I mean, it is wonderful. But, two, it's when you have this time to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. And your and your real friends are invested in that mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, bad friends can just lead you into further self deception, mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. not good. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier for future, just some diving in for some good stuff. Uh, your your podcast, but also in terms of friendship, uh, maybe a book or two you'd recommend for people who are going, hey, I, I want to think more deeply about what does it mean to to be to be a good friend and to have good friends, a couple of you know, book or two that you'd recommend. Uh, I, I mean, you're gonna find this wild, but um, I am currently reading to um, three of my boys, *The Wind and the Willows*. Mm, have okay. you read that? Yeah, I know *Wind and the Willows*. I have not read it. Yeah, it's a beautiful book about friendship. Yeah, it's a beautiful book about friendship. *Charlotte's Web* is a beautiful mm-hmm. book about friendship. Mm, yeah, um, I mean, there are so many. Uh, there's there's so much wonderful children's literature. You know, it's quite a classic children's literature that explores and models uh, for young children friendship. But I think for you know college students, although actually you know, just as a as a middle aged person reading Wind in the Willows, like I'm totally mm. into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like like <laughs> like um, you know, mole and toad, and it's. It's actually just a really great book, but um, but I think you know um, there's a lot of I mean this. this you, o- T- Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien. comes to mind as well. You think of Sam and Frodo, and just yes. I mean, really, you know, the entire fellowship. Yes, in yes, many ways. the fellowship, and yeah. and and I think that um, in some ways, you know, um, what the Neapolitan novels, mm. which is kind of um, an investigation of a of a friendship that, that goes wrong mm. in, in some ways, but it, but it's like a very powerful portrayal of female friendship or the, the ways that female friendship can can go wrong. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think great literature um, is very revealing of these things. But I also think that the C.S. Lewis book that you mentioned yeah, is... Four, Four Loves. The Four Loves is yeah. great, and everyone should read it. Yeah, and you were talking, we were talking earlier about uh, Joseph Pieper uh, has a book, uh, I think, where he dresses friendship some. Um, yes, yes. Uh, what's the title? It's escaping uh, me. That one is called Faith, Hope, and Faith, Love. Faith, Hope, and Love, yes. And yeah. Joseph Pieper's a Thomist, so he's mm-hmm. thinking of love as, as a kind of friendship, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 well, great. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for coming to Kentucky. Uh, it's a tough week uh, uh, given that uh, just recently as we're recording this podcast that uh, the University of Kentucky's football team lost to your University of South Carolina. Yeah, that was surprising, wasn't it? Yeah, that was <laughs> very, very disappointing. But uh, So we weren't uh, very thankful for all the South Carolina folks who came through this weekend, but we're super thankful for you being here. We appreciate you. Okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks.